Hey folks, Dude2Joe here from Two Dudes One Double Feature. I just want to make a quick correction. Uh, there's the great actor David Morse, and throughout the episode, uh, in the second half, I constantly pronounce his name as David Morris. Uh, this is a major error on my part. I apologize. Hope you can enjoy the rest of this week's episode of Two Dudes One Double Feature. The following is not intended for younger listeners. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, I wish I could tell you that this wasn't Two Dudes, One Double Feature, but that'd be some fairy tale shit. Anywho, this is this week's episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome! Welcome, everyone, to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films. And that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. I'm Dude Two, Joe. And we got a very exciting episode for you guys. A listener-suggested episode for you guys, which I'm personally very excited about. Um, But before we get into that, um, something happened a week ago. Something really shitty. Something... at the point that we're like, this episode is going to be out, it's going to be two weeks. So that's whatever, right. a week ago for us, whatever we say is probably going to be irrelevant because even in under a week, so much has happened. Um, yeah. You know, and we're not, we're not, I'm not, we're don't take our giggling as like thinking this event is funny. It's just so much has happened with it. At, at wait, such a, wait, what are you talking about? I was just talking about the Oscars in general. Oh, in general. Yeah, just shitty. <laughs> well, that, yeah, they were shitty. <laughs> like the, the you know the main ceremony. Um, I I have some some thoughts on on that part of it. Yeah, I mean we've talked about that extensively, but you know I think at this point, especially after two weeks, it's just it. What happened happened. It was weird. You know, and that's it it kind of took away from the rest of the show which was already kind of annoying anyway yeah Mm -hmm. you know and just the the whole fact that they just didn't give a shit about anyone else other than like the big stars and then after the incident it's like everybody else especially Questlove. Mm -hmm. listen guys if you get a chance watch summer of soul it's his movie he directed, his Oscar-winning documentary directed. I think it's on Hulu. Check it out if you get a second. Or it's available. It, I think they have a DVD. I think maybe there's a Blu-ray. I'm not sure. I know I've seen I know, a DVD of it. I know it's on Disney. I saw it on Disney Plus as well. So you can you know access in one of those services. Um, you know, yeah. It's just the whole the whole thing is kind of annoying, and then. Then there was something even more annoying within the annoyingness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the Oscars, though, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Look, there, there's some. Are we gonna Are we gonna talk much about that? At you know, if you want, I just, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I just have a, a, a few things to say. You know. Okay. Um. You know, again, we're not the most qualified people to talk about this as just two white guys, you know. No. But I'll I'll say this much: if you're considering this the ugliest Oscar moment, um, where I, I want to know where where you were when Roman Polanski was able to win his Oscar. 
or, um, you know, well, you know, and some people might not even be alive, but like back when Marlon Brando had sent somebody else to accept the award on his behalf, there was shit revolving around that. That was pretty mm-hmm. ugly. Um, I would say it's a shocking moment. I don't think it was, you know, I think we can, we can agree on that. It was a shocking moment, but to, to say that it was the worst moment in Oscar history is neglecting a lot of stuff that the Academy and ultimately the film industry as a whole has neglected. Allowed. Um, really? so I think that that's really just my main takeaway on that. Um, yeah. I feel anything else I'm, I'm just, you know, heading into other territory, but just, you know, think about that. Just g- give it some perspective, I guess, you know, look into it a little bit, but you know, yeah, the Oscars happened, you know, it just, I, 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 I think obviously I've said that before in like social media, but like I a hundred percent agree with Edgar Wright in that it just, it's not about movies anymore. It's and not. It needs, it needs to get back to being about movies, which not that the Oscars have ever been like a highlight necessarily, but you know, when, when the Oscars cared enough about what they're about, then, you know, they have little moments here and there, which I will like, obviously this past Oscars. Yeah. It had a lot of really terrible, like just everything else, but there were like small moments, like when Troy Kotzer won best supporting actor was a really nice moment. Um, and honestly, I can't think of anything else. <laughs> I'm sure there was other things, but it's just, it's blanking at the moment. It's been I mean- a week for us. I mean, there are some like great moments. I just think about uh, Ariana DeBose um, winning Best Supporting Actress and yes. seeing Rita Moreno in the audience, like that, like you know, because she won for the same role, you know, sixty years before, and that's such a beautiful, you know, it's such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she Anita is now in the long line of of uh, the multiple winning characters like Vito Corleone and the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> how about that is that is a that is an interesting uh pack of characters isn't it <laughs> yeah and if i'm not mistaken like the oscars won for anita are among the only um oscars won for uh hispanic characters on film because uh, yeah, you got especially- you got you got a white italian man and then you got a very white <laughs> very white man <laughs> um you know i'm trying to think of other things like it just is uh, another just thing to note uh dune won the most awards it didn't take home the b- big prize as expected but it took home like you know because a lot of people say like oh the acting awards are the ones that matter but it's like dune won editing and cinematography like if you have if you have like a like it's a really bad like lighting setup and uh the shots are just hobbled together. Your actors, as hard as they're trying, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. S- stuff, like, behind the scenes is just as important as what's in front of the camera. Um, I will say, I will also say, too, regarding that, I was reading that Dune, there's only been a handful of movies that won six or more Osc- Oscars. You know, Dune's one of them, but it's the only one uh, to win that many awards without it being nominated for best director which so weird it's it's kind of a weird thing and coda interestingly enough i think is one of the only best picture winners to not be nominated for editing that is interesting 
Um, so, because a lot of people like to say if you win the editing award, you have a better, much better shot of winning Best Picture, but Coda's so, sort of thrown that down the toilet um, as far as just guessing these things. Um, you know, but that that's no surprise. It's the Oscars, I guess. But um, I try to think of other other moments. I mean, it, it, was, it was sort of a shoddy uh, award ceremony, even just taking that, in, the incident, out mm-hmm. of the equation um uh, one of my favorite little moments again relating to dune was obviously it was an edited together thing with the other categories and Hans zimmer won his first oscar in like almost 30 years and normally when somebody's not there because he wasn't there they're like we accept this award on his behalf and they walk off mm-hmm. i really like the little bit jason momoa said like it was short and sweet and it really was a nice descriptor of what what Hans zimmer does um you know so Good stuff, honestly. Uh, just little moments here and there, but you know, is, and I guess that's 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 what we we'll try to remember the, this past Oscars for. It's just like, oh, remember that one little moment, and then our immediately will be like, oh, it was during that Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Hopefully, I mean, you know, whatever they do next year, but you know, hopefully they learn their lesson. Just get, you know what, just get Billy Crystal back, and just get, like, just gold flakes everywhere, I don't know, just, just, it's one of those situations where it's like, maybe just make it like how it was, and then maybe it'll be better, or we could, it'll just be normal, I don't know. I, it's gonna be weird, there's gonna be, have to be a lot of changes, I feel like, also particularly on what people are allowed to say, as far as, you know, because... You can say that was a big part of the equation of certain things that happened. Um, mm. I just think ultimately there's like sort of a smugness about the Oscars. Like the Oscars like being the Oscars, but they hate that the Oscars are about movies. Kind it's of thing. So, we- it's so weird. It's it's a very weird um, paradox. Uh, yeah, that's all I really have to say about about everything yeah. with that. You know, is is disappointing. But either way, you know, tr- everyone that won, congratulations to those people. Um, you know, all of those people worked hard, um, obviously not to get the Oscar, I'm sure, but you know, it's a nice, it's a nice perk to their hard work. So congratulations to the winners. Um, anything, uh, anything going on in your life right now? Anything exciting? Uh, well, what, what, what has been going on in my life? Um, (laughs) I've been picking up a lot of discs lately, which because of the, uh, because I I do the, uh, dude twos pickups, it's gonna be. A, I'm waiting. <laughs> it's gonna be a supersized episode of Dude Two's pickups. Um, I actually just picked up a bunch of discs from a Warner Archive sale. Nice. Um, which I'm very excited about. Which ranges from stuff like J- uh, James Cagney movies, uh, Popeye cartoons. I got Horror of Dracula finally on Blu-ray because before I had it on DVD. Beautiful. You know, it was it was a great deal. It was like four for forty nine. You know, so each disc was like twelve. And That's change. not bad. It's, That's it's cool. you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty good. I finally watched like really watched it like seriously for the first time. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, directed by Kenneth Branagh, who won an Oscar this past weekend. Yes, yes, he did. Congrats uh, to Kenny B. Um, K- KB Toys. KB Toys. <laughs> And we watched Death on the Nile together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely want to talk about that. Um, as far as Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula. 
the movie, you know, the Francis Ford, it's my favorite Francis Ford Coppola movie. It's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, and I, wa- I was curious to see this cause I, it, it has a sort of a interesting reputation because it was made in that same time period. Coppola was producer on it, you know, made right after the success of, um, Mary Shelley, not Mary Shelley, sorry, after Bram Stoker's Dracula. So Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, it's, it was okay. It was a mixed bag. It felt, yeah. it felt like a period, it, it is very close to the book. And it's one of those cases where just because you're a really good adaptation of the book does not mean you're a good movie. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, I'm speaking as somebody who's a huge Kenneth Branagh fan, like his Hamlet and, um, and Henry V are among like my favorite movies of all time. Much Ado About Nothing, hysterical. Um, you know, I really, Thor's okay. And Cinderella's a pretty solid movie. I've liked his Poro movies, which we'll talk about. Um, but this one, it just kind of didn't do it for me until like the third act where it got kind of nutty. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, that was the best part. Um, and there wasn't really anything visually interesting with the movie. Like, you know, people can say what they want about Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it is like almost every frame is just like something wild. Whereas this movie had, like, maybe a handful of moments. Like, I think about the Grand Staircase. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, a pretty cool, like, old Hollywood kind of moment. But, you know, it, it was all right. It was all right. I'm glad I watched it. And it was from a uh, new Blu-ray from Arrow. So, I love Arrow and their discs. So, that's about it. I just heard they're getting into NFTs. Arrow? Yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody's getting into <laughs> NFTs. Everyone's getting into NFTs, man. Where's the two dudes NFT? Um, non-existent. <laughs> it's just a, it's just one of our faces. You could pick which variant of Richard or Joe you want. <laughs> no, it's and like, uh, it's like pay extra. You can pay extra. You get John and Kenny as well. It's like Ratatouille with all like the different, um, gustos. Like there's like the, the barbecue gusto and like the Chinese food gusto. <laughs> Let's see, that's that's our NF, That's how our NFT is different, is that you not only get the NFT, but you get a frozen dinner <laughs> as well when you see, buy See, at least it. you get something tangible, okay? <laughs> you get something that's actually worth value, so it's like, by the way, with this frozen pizza you're buying from Dude 2, you're also getting an NFT. <laughs> it's so nice. It's just also so weird, too, when you pre-order tickets, you're like, now you get a Batman NFT or a Spider-Man <laughs> NFT. Thank you. (laughs) I'll make sure to use it. Never. (laughs) Like, how the fuck do I use this thing? Um, I'm poking it. It's not working. (laughs) (laughs) This fungible token is so weird. I hate it. (laughs) Anyway, enough about NFTs. How how is dude one? Uh, That was just funny. Yes. I'm just going to laugh about that for another, like, 18 minutes, so I apologize. Sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm doing all right. I'm, I I bent down weird, and I hurt my back a little bit, so I, I feel really old right now. My neck's been fe- bothering me the last, like, three days. So you feel my pain. I, I feel somewhat. I don't want to make this about myself. But... <laughs> this is about me and my <laughs> NFTs now. <laughs> Get the back-breaking Richard NFT today. Hey, <laughs> comes with a comes with a green beans mashed potato dinner. Oh, <laughs> it's a whole a whole like thing. Um, <laughs> no, like that that kind of sucked just because I, I I did it on 
I want to say Thursday. It ha- like it actually happened before we watched our second movie. Oh, wow. and so like when we were watching, I'm just kind of sitting there like, okay, you were in that pain. I'm so sorry, dude. Yeah, but you know the movie was 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 a good distraction from it though, so that helped. And but the worst part was having to go into work the next day and just kind of hobble around, just be like. Uh, but thankfully, I have some authority, so I can tell people what to do. <laughs> Though I might, I might go too hard with it because half of my coworkers think I'm their boss. <laughs> like, like I'm standing next to my manager, and one of my one of the newer kids comes up, and he's like staring at both of us, and we're like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "Are who? Which one's the manager?" I'm like, "Really? <laughs> it's it's him. I promise you, it, it's him." <laughs> so. What well, wait? What uh, day was was this on like Friday that this, yeah, this was going? This, this well, was this Friday. Is, night, it could yeah. be April Fool. You could be, like April Foolsing them. You know? No, that's what. Like I was like, can I leave early? Like because my back is killing me. And they're like, sure. And then I, as I was leaving, I was like, how bad would it be if this was fake? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no, that would be, oh, that, that, that would be that would be wild. I'm like, trust me, I wish it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dude, the craziest thing. I feel like this April Fools had more truthful things going on than normal. Like nothing. I heard like no. Like I saw one fake thing, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> there was like I saw like three things, but like everything else, there was like heart like news stories that were true, but like you could they could have been fake. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. April Fools is not what it used to be. No, um, especially in the era of fake news. Yes, and like misinformation, the whole mm-hmm. shebang. Oh yeah. Other than that. Just, you know, watching movies. I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring, which is obviously very hot right now. So many people are playing and talking about it. Um, I know your brother's been playing it. I message him every now and then. I'm like, I got this. I did this. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, I've been literally, like, draining my own, like, life force. <laughs> Just sitting in my chair playing. That's probably part of the reason why my back like got hurt just because i've been sitting in this chair just (laughs) playing this damn game for hours on end but it's so fun it's it's like it's weird i don't know but you know it's it's one of those games where you just kind of get lost in it and then like you realize oh wow it's been five hours (laughs) yeah so but you know what maybe this is a hot take on like maybe it's like kind of in general like souls game kind of take maybe it's maybe it's common i don't know i don't get into that community very much but um these games like as fun as they are are very isolating Mm. like like you can get really depressed not just because they're hard but you can get really depressed fast just because you're roaming around and you hear this kind of like ominous music it's not like uplifting sometimes it's it's got dread in it but it's just ominous and so you're just kind of like uh, so like I've been trying to regulate how often I play because if I play too long, I swear I'm gonna just like cry. This <laughs> right. is how like lonely you feel, especially like how vast like the lands are, and you're running around on this like horse, and I don't know. That's the one downside to playing the game. As much fun as much as I love it, it's just it, it can get really sad. That's why I play Horizon every now and then which is also an open-world game, but at least it's, like, lush and alive and, and wonderful and wondrous, and so that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the highlight, without a doubt, was watching a movie with you uh, <laughs> called Death on the Nile. 
the latest entry in the uh, clearly beloved and uh, box office uh, juggernauts. That is the Kenneth Branagh Perot movies. In fa- in fairness, the first one was a hit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the second the second one not so much. No, no. But you know, they, they, they're movies that exist. I, I they, you know, they I liked I liked aspects of the first one, and I was very hesitant to watch this new one. But you 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 told me that you liked it, and so I was like, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch. <laughs> so then it was it was on Hulu. We watched the whole thing, and yeah, you know it was it, it was a thing. <laughs> it, it happened. It it, it happened. I, I I live in a post death on the Nile world, mm-hmm. and I can now say that's out of my life. Uh, <laughs> like. Like visuals were pretty cool. There was definitely some like weird green screen stuff, but ultimately it was like a lot of the visuals were really cool. Um, I liked uh, I liked s- some of the cast. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, like obviously you have your like those three specific ones. You have someone, the fake scientist, as I as I acknowledge them. Um, then uh, there's the one that just says things that they probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then there's Army Hammer, <laughs> who, ugh. He was almost too perfectly cast for this movie. <laughs> it, it's so weird, because after everything that happened with him, and you watch this movie, at, like, I was reading somebody's tweet, it was like, yeah, Army Hammer can really, just is having a ball playing a horny freak. Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole, the whole, his whole, it, his whole opening scene, you're like, it feels, I probably, if, like, what meant to, like, feel, like, somewhat, like, alive or, like, sexual um, does not feel like that in context with who's in the scene. Um, but I did fall in love watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, with, uh, with, a- with an actor named Emma Mackey. She's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> you know what I like in this experience, too, Richard? Yes, for you. For you, I liken it to people who watch Twilight for the first time, and maybe <laughs> Twilight isn't the best movie ever. But they're introduced to Robert Pattinson and, 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 and Kristen Stewart, who are wonderful <laughs> actors. It's like at, at least I got something out of it. <laughs> yeah, she is probably the best part of the movie, though. In all without, seriousness, without a doubt. Um, but other than that, yeah, what happened happened. It, I it would have been a much better movie had maybe the casting been different, but half of that wasn't even like it because it's it was stuff that they that we learned after the fact about these people that made it uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not like they could like because people t- ask, talk about that all the time. It's like why didn't they, why didn't they just reshoot it? But it's like not everything's like all the money in the world where Kevin Spacey was only in like a handful of scenes in that movie, and you can like reshoot it. You know, and, and it costs money. It costs money. It costs you know, money. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it's expensive. <laughs> like maybe if you're like a like like a I mean not that Kenneth Branagh doesn't have any like anything to his name to like get like the possibility to do something like that, but he's not like a Ridley Scott who probably has control over everything and and is like yeah this is exactly how I want to do. Not to mention this is a this was a 20th Century Studios film that was acquired by Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
Disney, I'm sure, is not in the business of wanting to spend however much money to reshoot a lot of those things, get the cast back together, and pay those people. It just would have been a whole mess because a lot of the cast is together for a lot of the mo- for a lot big stretches yeah. of the movie. And it's you not know, like so you-, you can just. It's not. It's not like like a Tig Nataro situation in Army of the Dead because at least with Tig, um, she had several scenes by herself. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She ended up being by far the best cast member. No offense to Dave Batista in that entire movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So, um, as because and also Dave Batista is great in that movie, but as Tig Nataro for being a late entry, took over the whole movie. Right. <laughs> just so Good you stuff. know. Right. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it, it's just what it is. It's, it's just like West Side Story with its lead actor, you know, they, they filmed it well before they, they knew anything, but you know, they didn't really have much of a choice. So, you know, it is what it is guys, unfortunately, yeah. but hopefully, you know, down the road we do better. Um, yeah. But let's get it because we've talked for like half, almost half an hour about other things, yeah. and I did promise the person that suggested this that we wouldn't dawdle too much. So I failed miserably on that. So I well, apologize. It, uh, in fairness to that person, um, you know, I'm going to put timestamps in the description mm-hmm. so that person can jump ahead to this part of the conversation right now. Just so you know, it's right now. So this is a um, this is a listener suggested episode, like I mentioned. And it's personal for me because this is a episode suggested by my sister, Jelly, or Angelica is her name, but we call her Jelly. She, she's been listening to the show since we started doing it, and she sends me texts every now and then of like n- just questions and comments of everything that uh, she listened to. And some of them are just really funny. Some of them are just like, you know... I like half the time she'll ask me something. I'll be like, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> so I'm just kind of going off that. Um, but it's nice that she does that. And it's, it's cool to like see what she has to say and what her perspective is on what we're talking about. Though I am still trying to push for her and I'm, you better do this jelly, but um, I'm still trying to push for her to like watch some of the stuff that we talk about that she's never seen because you like, because like she, she says she latches on to like, the stuff she has seen when we like, so obviously she's seen both the movies we're talking about. So she'll latch onto this pretty well. But in, in all the other episodes where we talk about stuff she hasn't seen, she never bothers. And like, she's busy. So I get that. But I always say like, if you get a second, you should check this out, see what you think. So yeah, I, I, I love my sister and you know, I, I've, I, I think I've made fun of her a little bit on the show. I'll admit that, you know, but I do what I've love. And, uh, she knows that. Though, if it, if any of it upset her, I apologize. Please don't slap me. Uh, <laughs> it's just I only said that for Joey's face. <laughs> you can you can bet you if she does that, my response will be faster than what the whatever the academy decided to do. <laughs> like you, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be confused. Like, wait, what should we do? Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no, she would. She would never do that. No, I'm sure, um, she I'm sure no, she's a nice person. She is. She is very nice person. Um, but she. Um, she. Funny enough, this initial spot, like this, for this episode, was held by a different episode that she suggest. She suggested. I can speak. I promise. 
And um, she gave this to us sort of last minute, and it just made more sense, especially because the second movie that we're talking about, this is the first time I think this has happened on our show, because normally our double features consist of movies either both or one of us have seen. But yes. This is, this is the first time in our entire show where we both have watched a movie that we've just seen. Like, I mean, you can say, like, Batman or The Suicide Squad, but those are new movies, so it doesn't really count. But, like, this is yeah. an older, like, late 90s movie that neither of us had seen, had heard about, had heard many things about, but never got around to it until now. Um, so, yeah, so uh, thanks for the suggestion, Jill. It was a very good suggestion. It was. This is actually, I was very excited to talk about both of these movies, Um Really great double feature pairing. Let's get to the first movie, though. What is which it? Which is... Well, this is a movie we have both seen. Yes. And if you're somebody who's been on IMDb for any amount of time. You know that this is the number one rated movie of all time on IMDb's top top 250 list, which is the only barometer of success. <laughs> not Letterboxd. Not, not Letterboxd. Not uh, Twitter. Nothing. Who cares about, who gives a shit about sight and sound? What are they, no. know, Vertigo? Mm. Vertigo and Citizen Kane for like 60 years, really? No. no. It's, this first film is, <laughs> the, the Frank Frank Darabont directed Shawshank Redemption. According to IMDb, factually, the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say, they say art is subjective. Nah, fam. Not nah. in this case. When IMDb comes into play, <laughs> your subjectiveness sucks. <laughs> You know what, can I just say that 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 was most of my history of this movie is just knowing it as the number one movie on IMDb. Oh, really? Because, well, because, like, I feel like there was, like, a there was like an intense battle on IMDb because The Dark Knight, when it came out, obviously, boom, huge. And we're, I know we're talking about Batman again in another one of these episodes. But, <laughs> but you relevant. brought it up this time, though. I, I did, yeah. but it's relevant. It's relevant yeah. because it was a movie that was skyrocketing through, like, the list, and it was a really high-rated movie. And there are people who like The Godfather who are like, nah, fam, nah. <laughs> so they're going to give like one star ratings to The Dark Knight. And then there's like, oh, Shawshank Redemption's there. Let's give that one 10 stars. <laughs> so it was kind of, if I think it, if I'm not mistaken, because that's how I remember it. It was like a pawn in this stupid battle for the number one spot on a movie rating site that everybody's migrated to Letterboxd now. I only use IMDb just to check award status on different movies. But the, the <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> this this movie, um, again, factually, the greatest movie of all time. Um <laughs> the, this movie just didn't ask for any of this. No. <laughs> it didn't want any of this. Why are you guys being so cruel? Just let it be a movie, not the movie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yes, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it is a Stephen King adaptation, which is what Frank Darabont is known for, more or less. He's he's directed only two other things that I can think of, or at least one other thing movie-wise. That is not an adaptation of Stephen King. And that was The Majestic starring Jim Carrey. And then he did two TV shows. But um, outside of that, like every movie he's done, this one, our next one, and then The Mist are all Stephen King adaptations. 
And with this one, um, we are following Tim Robbins, who we only ever acknowledged in this movie as Tim Robbins, because he doesn't look like anything else but Tim Robbins. Like, like you look at him and you go, Tim Robbins is the only name. <laughs> like, when he was born, his parents looked at him and went, Tim Robbins, how you doing? <laughs> like, his par- his parents' last name was, like, Yoder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was like, no, 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 <laughs> you're not Yoder, you're Tim Robbins. Mr. And, Mrs. Yo- <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Yoder, I'm pleased to say your baby is a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. This is so stupid. It's the worst. <laughs> but Tim Robbins plays Andy Dufresne, which is a very great name, just doesn't fit him. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a very protagonist name. Like it's I feel like very... I'm reading like fan like fan fiction, and the OC is named Andy Dufresne. <laughs> like you can't get better than that. And his best friend's name is just Red. <laughs> like he like we know his. They say his full name later, but we just know him as Red. He's Red. Yeah, he's Red. that's it. And that's mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman. And yes. uh, so Andy Dufresne. Um, potentially we're, we're not at least at first we're not entirely sure but he potentially may have killed his uh ex-wife who was with another man or current wife i don't remember their mm-hmm. whole relationship but i know like he potentially killed his wife and her lover and that got him in prison and the rest of the movie is literally andy dufresne making his way through prison making friends um but he's 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 more or less performing miracles is what it seems like it's happening. So, like, you have all these people who are in prison who are just like, you know, we're just here. It is what it is. Just try your best. Don't get involved in this. these groups of people. Don't get involved in those groups of people. You just try to make it. Um, obviously, Andy gets in a few rough spots, like, with that one guy who, unfortunately, attacked him periodically and assaulted him in various unfortunate ways. At, at a few points, Andy uses his brain and finds opportunities to make life in prison a little bit better. You know, like his accounting skills, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in prison, you know, if you got good accounting skills, I'm sure you'll find someone that'll want your help. And not that that's a, a life hack in prison. I've never been to prison, but just so <laughs> in regards to the movie. But point is, yeah. um, that's something that helped him. And so... All these little things are happening periodically, but it's all kind of building towards this one big moment that Andy's kind of planning. But he also finds himself in a little bit of hot water here and there. And it's it's it, in a lot of ways, it doesn't really, at least from my perspective, doesn't really have like a heavy plot. Like there's plot threads that are happening, but it feels like a series of moments. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I, think I would definitely agree with that because there's all sorts of different like little... You know, there's all sorts of different, like, little plot threads and, and supporting characters and whatnot um, that we see. Obviously, the main focus is Andy Dufresne, but it's through all these different different lenses and such. It's, like, it is a series of, like, little little moments. Um, uh, this, I mean, there's all sorts of, like, interesting scenarios that happen. I think one of the, there's a lot of great characters in this movie. Obviously, Morgan Freeman is Red. Who's is, our narrator. You know, I imagine that it's like one of one of, if not the most iconic role Morgan Freeman's ever played. You know, I know I know people. A lot of people saw him in the Dark Knight movies, and he's great in those. But this one mm-hmm. feels like the quintessential 
like Morgan, like if you were having like a Morgan Freeman like festival, this would be like the movie to show. That's why like we always acknowledge his voice because he has such a great voice, and mm-hmm. you know his voice is I'm sure the many reasons why he's gotten a lot of different jobs that he's had. Like it's he narrates the whole movie, and it's just his voice is so like wonderful, and. That's like I've always had a theory that the reason in his later career why he's cast in like so many different movies is just because like they rely on him to deliver information that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it works and they're like, "Okay, good." Uh so like I like the movie Lucy. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I was just thinking about that. I knew like, you were going to bring that up. Like his whole his whole job in that movie is to just explain why Lucy is the way she is. And that's it. <laughs> and it doesn't work, but to Morgan Freeman's credit, he does a damn good job. <laughs> that movie also made a lot of money. I don't know if people realize it. It was a hit. <laughs> it did. <laughs> like, I just remember, like, did you see Lucy? It was so good. And then I'm like, I don't know. I couldn't get past the 10% thing. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, like, my thing is, like, I don't care about stupid shit like that. I'm fine. But, like, it was just not great. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it in like the middle of the night uh, at at my video store job because we got a copy of it in. We're like, let's watch this, and I'm like, okay. And I'm just sitting there going, uh huh, (laughs) yeah, uh huh, yeah. It's uh, it's not the best. But going off of you know that Morgan Freeman is just so great in this movie. Um, we throughout the whole movie, we're just like riffing on like the specific line i wish i could t- i wish i could tell you that these jokes would stop but this isn't some fairy tale shit <laughs> it, it literally became to a point where i was like joey if this is just practice then i better hear this voice in the opening credits so if you're, if you're listening to this episode and joey did not open it with his morgan freeman it was all wasted <laughs> it was all wasted uh, my my mediocre attempts um but um, he's a really incredible. I mean, because he's a great. He's really is. I, I think the best character in the movie. Um, also, because you have you know Andy Dufresne, obviously, who is just getting into prison, and you know is new to a lot of this stuff. We have Morgan Freeman, who's been there a while. Um, Red's been there a while, and then uh, what was it Brooks? Who's Brooks, been who's there been there a like lot? Fifty years. 50 years but and the crazy thing is like there's a point where he's able to go you know he's able to you know get out and go into the real world and on his parole or whatever and he is he is trying to kill a guy to stay in prison like he he basically adapted so much that you know and he'd been there for so long that that's the only thing that he knew it made me think of like in, in some military, like, uh, sort of anti-war movies, when you see, like, life after the war for some characters. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I think I think of Jeremy Renner in Hurt Locker after he, you know, got out, and he's in a grocery store, and he looks so distraught. He's like, what is... And, like, you know, just seeing how life has sort of moved on and changed for everyone else that he was in the army with. And mm. it made me think of that a little bit, because, like, with Brooks... You know, he all like he just knew like being in the library. He there was people's faces he knew. And he was an old man, and you got to think about that too. Like when you're in prison, 
and I, I mean, obviously, I'm not, again, neither of us are speaking from experience, but, you know, you, you got to imagine at some point, you're in there for so long, and you probably have limited connections to the outside world that, you know, at some point, you're like, this is real? Like, like this is a thing? Like, what happened to this? You know, because, you know, 30, 40 years pass if you're, unfor- if you, if you're in prison, and you come back out, and you're like, this is so different than when I came in. Yeah, because he was talking about, like, oh, there was one car. It'd be crazy to see one car. Now there's, like, everybody's got a car. Everybody's driving. Um, But also, too, because you're in prison, you're not... A lot of time, you're not developing skills for, like, a job. No. Outside, you know, obviously, for a number of these people, they're not... They don't have the best education, a number of them. I mean, Andrew Dufresne does. He has at least the background, and he has some of those other skills to land him, like, more of a white-collar job, but... These guys, like, they have to, like, Brooks, when he's, like, at the grocery store and his hands are shaking, trying to, you know, put things in the, put groceries in the bag. Double um, bag. Double bag. It actually made me think of the, you haven't seen this movie yet, uh, Chaplin's Modern Times takes place during the Depression, and it's, things are so bad that Chaplin is trying to get himself into prison because he's got a roof over his head, he's got a meal, he knows where he, he is, he doesn't have to be in the outside world, and it's really and it's a comedy but it's really just like it makes you you know really makes you think about um you know societal issues and um mm-hmm. all that but <clears throat> i bring that i bring up brooks too because like think about red and he's sort of in that at that crossroads where he's getting he's he's really at that point like it's happening to him yeah uh, go, go, no no like well like because well, like, like like hope is like it's like he's him is like a such dangerous thing because mm-hmm. he has so, had so many times where they're like rejected you know, for parole, um, you know, and he's just like, he's, uh, and it's, I think one of the craziest things is just like when he goes to that uh, office and there's like different people years later, when he get, when he finally gets it, he's just like, what? <laughs> like, and he, like, like he seems excited, but then as he's like walking around, he's like, huh. like he's starting to understand like what Brooks was talking about more than, I mean, he already understood, obviously he was the only one that really understood. Yeah. But, um, at least for Red, though, he had someone on the outside to, like, connect with. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, and that was, like, when you get to that end scene when Andy's on the boat and, um, you know, you see Red coming towards him, you know, it is kind of, it's, a, it's an uplifting moment. It's, it's, it's nice. very It's very, it's very nice, heartfelt moment. You got that nice blue ocean behind them. It's like, it's not even that they're free, it's just that they're together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't you don't give a shit. Like they could be in prison again. They could have committed a crime and end up in prison. It doesn't matter. It's just that they're together, because there's nothing worse than like being alone or being isolated. Like I was talking about this earlier. Um, you know, especially in a world you don't understand or that you're not comfortable with, and like you know, and as long as you can find someone or something to like make you feel welcome, make you feel whole a little bit, that's a nice thing. It's a wonderful thing, and that's what Andy was for for Red at that moment. That was nice. Um, I think the warden is one of the best like antagonists. Very Nurse Ratchet. Yes, very. Which yes. is why I was like, if we didn't do this with with Green Mile, I would have been very okay with doing One Flew Over the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah. He he definitely has that. Um, and obviously he's like <clears throat> very super religious. You know, and like, but as he's doing all this corruption, it, there's a, like, he has this Bible quote, like, that's like sewn 
but he, he pulls it off and there's like the safe and all the money and of course. all the other of course. all the other all the other nonsense that he's got going on um and then and then yeah. how his whole story ends when he just offs himself yeah like you know in religion that's like a big no-no it's big big no-no um you know I'm trying to think of other things like uh, Roger Deakins also the cinematography in this movie looks Oof. great um, outstanding one thing we were talking about because it, it had been had it been a while for you when because we both had seen this movie before for me it had been a very almost over, over a decade since I last saw this I I want to say last time I watched Shawshank was probably mid 2010s probably 2015 16 maybe somewhere around there Mm-hmm. It hadn't been too long, but it'd been long enough that I didn't remember it so much. But once once I watched it, everything was like, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. Like I'm like same with you when we were taught we were watching it. Like we remember the Brooks storyline. That's the thing I remember the most vividly was that just how how kind of upsetting and sad that was, especially because how lovable and wonderful Brooks was as a character. Um, and uh, you know what? Like the the whole time, like I'm watching this the this first movie i for and maybe this is maybe an afterthought thing but maybe i just never think about it with shawshank but this movie felt and it could have just been in relation to you know the last sunday but it felt so oscary yes like i don't know if that was frank darabont's intention if he was like I, i'm not i don't want to say he's award chasing or anything but it felt like that, like especially in that last, which is a very again, it was a very nice moment. I'm glad that's where the movie ended. But when the music played, I was like, "This musician, this composer, wants an Oscar." <laughs> was that uh, was that um, one of the Newman guys? I think the score Alfred New- was that Alfred Newman who did that one. I'm not sure. I don't think it was Randy, but whatever. We'll f- figure it. Out. <laughs> You know, I could just check right now. Why am but I dawdling you, with this? Listen, you have the power of technology at your fingertips. Thomas, uh, Thomas Newman. Thomas Alfred Newman. Newman was, I think, his dad back in like the old days. But say, isn't Alfred Newman also the name of the Mad Magazine guy? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. Um, uh, but yeah, it did feel very oscar which is weird because before then I had never really associated it because... This is one of those movies, like universe, almost like universally praised movies of yeah. all time. You ask a number of people, they're generally going to have very positive thoughts on the movie, or if they've never seen it, they'll know, oh, it's a good movie. Because sometimes when you think about an Oscar movie, you think about Green Book, Spotlight. Um, there's there's a number of them. Crash, that mm-hmm. they that are just they are or some like King, the King's Speech that are genetically like they're made in a lab almost. Like, and, like, the Academy got together and said, all right, let's see if we can win our own awards. <laughs> but I feel like this is an example of a good, like, Oscar movie, like, Oscar-type movie. Yeah. You know, and I feel like if it had been released today, I think the opinion on it would be very different. I think if people would, there'd be people who would still praise it, but I think a lot of people would look at this as like, okay, if this won, this is like the most standard, like, Oscar movie um in a lot of ways like it's just like well there's another one but you know what? at least it's good yeah exactly yeah um but it did get a lot of nominations didn't win anything but it was also up against that year you know what else is up against that year no pulp fiction and uh forrest gump you know what 
I like one of those movies. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? At least in, uh, from in my case, I don't really remember Forrest Gump all that much. I just remember like the the, the quotable stuff. Yeah. Because I think I I watched it once. And, I want- and when it, it was around when it came out too. Mm-hmm. So one time, but I know you have your whole yeah thing I have my whole thing. It. I'm not going to get into it. Um, yeah, but this movie it was interesting because initially it kind of flopped. Like it made like 16 million dollars in its initial release, but then there was word of mouth. Um, the awards nominations had skyrocketed it to a point where it made it was able to make back its money, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> TV TV was a big. It was a big proponent and video rentals and stuff. Which is a weird thing to think about too, because like I'm watching this movie and it looks like how a lot of like TV shows at that time looked, or at least they tried yes. to look. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I think of like the first thing, especially with that opening scene when Andy's at, at his hearing basically before he gets thrown in prison, it made me think of law and order. Yeah. And you know, again, I think the I think Law and Order and those shows, you know, obviously I think they have great cinematography and they do a really good job, you know, making it look a little bit different than just your average television show. At least I mean these days it looks a little bit more like every other TV show, but at that time it was kind of like what is this? Like mm-hmm. this is kind of this is so different. Right. Um so I feel like maybe if that like if that is the case maybe there's a correlation there maybe you know they saw the success of this on television they were like we should have we should make you know what we should make shows that look like this movie that people mm-hmm. like um so that was like my first thought like watching this and then you brought that up and I was like oh my god so I thought maybe maybe there's a connection maybe there was an inspiration there a little bit and I also it, it's also weird today too because you know, now we don't really have home video as like the driving force for a movie to make money or a movie to gain relevance. It's like, cause I think about West side story and that flopped in theaters, but a lot of people were able to catch up like us and we watched it on streaming, you know, yeah. it's no longer a case of like, okay, we're going to, Oh, people are going to rent this movie out of curiosity. No, they're going to see it on a streaming service now. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I mean, that's why like this past weekend, everyone's like, are you going to see Morbius? I'm like, what if it's on Netflix? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> if it's if it's there, I'll I'll just be like, screw it. I'll see how it is. Yeah, um, but I think oh, but I think the other thing too that they make note of, and we definitely notice it with it too, is like there's no real like other female characters in this movie. At least they have like a major presence other than somebody who gets killed, which is <laughs> uh, which is Andy Dufresne's wife. You yeah. Know? Um, and like maybe a landlady here and there or lit person at a grocery store. You know, uh, like it's pretty it's, much it's, a- it's, it's, it's not to like the Brooks story and then the latter half when like, which I mean, again, it's, it's a, it's a movie set in prison. So they don't not It's, it's, I don't know. It makes like, it, it, it's, it makes sense for like the type of story that it's telling, but it's definitely like one of those it's things weird. where it's just like, there's no ladies. <laughs> it's like, there's no, there's it's, no it's, ladies. it's weird to say, to say this out loud, but 20,000 leagues under the sea had more female representation and its main female character was Esmeralda, the seal. The seal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, again, that's, uh, that's not us knocking it. It's just, that's, it's that's, just, that's the it's story. Just, it's just an observation. Um, were you, um, I was very surprised when I found out that this was a Stephen King adapta- adaptation. I, I, 
I knew about it ahead of time, mostly just because of because my first experience with Frank Darabont was The Mist, mm-hmm. and I knew that it was kind of his shtick is that he directed a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Like it's like him and a few other people were kind of just making or like for a period of time just making a few Stephen King adaptations, and I mean obviously to this day he still gets his books adapted into something. Um, and uh, on, on that note, I love The Mist. The ending included. I know the ending is controversial or infamous, depending on who you talk. Have you you you, you know I've what I'm never, talking about, right? No, I've never no. I don't know. What I you're won't. Talking about, actually, I, I will not spoil a word of it. But it's it's one of those endings that will either piss you off, or in my case, you love it because it's so ballsy. Mm-hmm. You're like like it is not in the book. Like Ooh. it's 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 Frank Darabont's original idea for the ending, and Stephen King was like, even I am not that cruel. <laughs> so so like it's like if you've seen the movie you know what i'm talking about like it it ends on such a heartbreaking like downbeat like sad note of a movie i really want to talk about it on the show <laughs> like i just uh because oh my god but um it's one of those it just has one of those iconic endings so like i watched that and then that's when i was like i want to check out some of his other stuff and funny enough it wasn't until after i'd seen like because he did the first season of walking dead and he did mob city it wasn't until like almost after that that i watched shawshank and decided Mm -hmm. to like watch some of his other stuff because i really liked the mist yeah and it was obviously was very different but it felt more in line of what i expected it to be sure um but no i it but it's also just very different from what you typically get from stephen king you know like you know, it's not The Shining, or it's not The Mist, or it's not um, It. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a more heartfelt story. Like, it's not even supernatural in any way. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's and that's one of my favorite things with, with any creators, when they do any kind of story that's a little bit out of their wheelhouse. Like, I think of Nightmare Alley a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's, like, it fits in Guillermo del Toro's ballpark but it's it also feels so different than what you would typically expect from him like i was telling you i was watching it the other day and you know he makes all these movies where the monsters are sort of the most humanized things and then you have these humans that are doing awful things and in a weird way it's sort of that like kind of reverse contrast between what it what it is to be human which um is is interesting in this case because you see that you see nightmare alley and this is like the first time Guillermo del Toro is like, I'm going to make a movie about the guy that I say is terrible. <laughs> right. And so, and so in the case with this, like, it's just, you know, there's no killer, there's no monster, there's no demon, there's no nothing. It's just life in prison. Mm-hmm. And, right. you, and it's just this one sort of like different guy that changes things for everybody. And he's sort of like, it's almost like a Jesus allegory a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's just he comes in and he he gets them beer because he offers to help one of the guards. He's able to get them books and build a whole library and um until eventually his his power and stuff is his power. His uh, <laughs> his abilities are exploited so that he is finally a- able to enact plan B when he escapes. Yeah. And that's one of the most iconic things about the movie. Is yeah. that escape scene? Because, uh, you know, you see it parodied a lot. You know, the poster on the hole in the wall, and then no one ever noticed it. And then he just happens to pull the poster away after he, you know, pokes a hole in it. And then it's just like there's this huge hole that he's been building for a dec- over a decade. Yeah. 
and it's just that again that whole even the the poster is him in the rain being like almost bap- reborn basically so right. the whole thing's kind of like a jesus allegory yeah and I was like, and I was thinking of, uh, the posters are a nice way to like show the representation of the passing of time because you have Rita Hayworth initially as like the first is the first poster that he gets, then Marilyn Monroe, and then Raquel Welch. Um, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's a great movie. Um, I'm definitely glad to have revisited it. Like this is only my, like my second time ever really seeing it. Mm-hmm. So it's this is probably like four somewhere around there. It's not a movie that I've actively watched, but it, I watch it periodically. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely uh, liked it. But it just, it was definitely uh, the most different experience I think I've had with the movie. Yes, than than I've ever had. But I still really liked it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, anyway, we're gonna take a quick intermission, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about. Another uh, Frank Darabont prison movie based on the works of Stephen King. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In our last segment, we were in prison. And guess what? We're still in prison. <laughs> it's a little different. A little different. <laughs> yeah, we're on death row now. What'd we do? Oof. I don't know. We made, we made the podcast. A comedian. What? We made the podcast. <laughs> oh, yours, your answer was better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we had neither, as we stated in the first half, neither one of us had ever seen our second film in our double feature before. That is the biggest, that was the biggest takeaway is that it was, the, again, this is the first time ever on the show where neither of us have seen the movie that we're talking about. We'd heard of it, mm-hmm. you know, and the thing is we both had certain expectations because the one prison movie by Frank Darabont based on a Stephen King story that we knew of was Shawshank and that based on that interpretation we were like okay maybe frank darabont's just kind of repeating himself a little bit or trying to do a bit of a better job but what we learned very quickly is that this is a very different movie this is a very different story and um it was also one of the few times in our entirety of the show that not only have we watched a movie that we had not seen before, but we also watched a movie within a course of two days. 
Because this is a three-hour movie, folks. <sighs> it's a long. It's one of our long, longest movies we talked about. Yeah, I like them short-ass movies. <laughs> <laughs> that song's in my head now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was a three-hour movie, so we were like, oh boy. Which is not like we like three like th- there's a lot of great movies that are over three hours, but at the same time it's a daunting task every yeah. time you see that runtime. You look at you look at that and you're like, Ugh. and it's not even like the longest three hour movie. It just happens to be one of those three hour movies. Mm. But in many respects, like it, it, I can probably look at Green Mile later on down the road for me as being kind of like a Titanic, where like with Titanic it's three hours long, but I could probably watch it just because I'm familiar with all of it, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this, and then it's just like you don't realize three hours have passed until after like Rose dies and kisses uh, Leo in heaven, yeah, <laughs> and you're like, oh wow, <laughs> it's been three hours, because <laughs> uh, uh, this is this is such a different again this is such a different experience than what either of us were expecting what were you what was your initial feeling going into this um i was because obviously i in i had known that tom hanks is in this movie which strangely enough i think this is the first tom hanks movie that we've talked about mm-hmm. on this show which is kind of crazy tis um i knew of course the late great michael clark duncan uh isn't isn't this one of his most one of his most notable performances i knew that and he was oscar nominated i was but i i did not expect because you're more you knew about this i guess the more the the less realistic element like you knew about the supernatural elements that were present in this i was not so when that happened i was (laughs) flabbergasted um i was like what because i was expecting like something more along the lines of shawshank redemption where okay, you know, it's a little, there's some sentimentality to it, but it's pretty, like, the way it portrays things is probably a little more re- on the realistic side. And yeah. um, I was not I was not expecting Michael Clark Duncan to have superpowers. <laughs> but, yeah. Not a criticism, not a cri- criticism, by the way. Just just an observation, you know. I'm like, wow. And, and the thing is, like, they don't preemptively, like, build anything to that. <sighs> They don't, they don't, like, say, like, oh, you know, there's, like, that, like, maybe they do, I just wasn't paying attention, but it just doesn't seem like they were building up towards this reveal that he has powers. Mm. It literally until the point where, um, cause, like, uh, Tom Hanks' character, Paul, Joseph Paul, DeAngelis, um, <laughs> um, he has a urinary tract infection, and so, obviously, like, it pains him to go to the bathroom, like there's like so like so many scenes in this like two mainly but it feels like there's a lot there's so many moments where he's just in absolute agony because he's just trying to get through this infection until literally michael clark duncan who's in in death row because he's a because he's a death row prisoner and tom hanks is like the head death row guard um he he approaches him and he he grabs him (laughs) Uh, basically, it's more like the, I don't know, he's wearing dark clothes, you can't really know exactly where he's grabbed, but he grabs him, basically, and, and you know, in certain parts, <laughs> and out of nowhere, like, you just, you just feel it, like this energy happens, and all these crazy things happen, and then, like, he shoots, like, ash or, like, bugs out of his mouth. Yeah. And then, and then Tom Hanks is like, what? And then he's, and he's like, I helped you. 
And then he goes to the bathroom, and it's the greatest pee he's ever had his entire life. And then he follows that up by going home to his wife and having four separate intercourse sessions. <laughs> in, a, in, like, a single, like, <laughs> evening, basically. I just, I love the bit when Bonnie Hunt's like, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the f- this is- we haven't done this since we were teenagers <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny with that because that doesn't come in till like a while into the movie it, it it feels like at least like either an hour or so into the movie that this is revealed because like the movie like the, the, the biggest similarity that i found between this and shawshank is that you spend a lot of time with the prisoners in the atmosphere and like learning about everybody involved Maybe not, like, we don't get a lot of, like, character backstory from everybody necessarily, at least not, like, in-depth or anything, or the whole scenes with every character. It's literally just Tom Hanks, and then every now and then a lot of other people in Tom Hanks' life. But you spend so much time with them that you get to know all of these different guards. You know, you get to know Paul, you get to know Brutal, um, Percy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm freaking percy or as my as uh my sister acknowledge uh i as i was explaining to, to her who the actor was and what he's unfortunately known for um and uh uh when she was asking me who i meant when i was explaining it she's like pee pants like pee pants yeah yeah because he pees mm-hmm. his pants at one mm-hmm. point in the movie there's a lot of pee in this movie but <laughs> yeah it's weird because i feel like it's it's more grisly and more gritty than shawshank in a lot of it, in a lot of yeah. ways, like I guess Shawshank, there's some obviously they imply a lot of horrible things that happen, you know, and things happen mm-hmm. off camera, and it's done in in a I think as you know as you can do ta- as tastefully as you can with that subject matter, um, mm-hmm. but like I think about like the moon pie, that like scene Ugh. that was gross. Mm, that uh, was the grossest thing. Th- like there's a lot of moments in this. Like there's a lot of like touching moments, of course. Like a lot of beautiful moving deeply moving scenes but they're also like oh god like this is totally a stephen king thing like oh like this the sad bit when you see michael clark duncan's character john coffee mm-hmm. which uh is like the drink but not spelled the same right i like that i like that whole bit mm-hmm. um but john coffee just uh sitting sitting against that log just in tears um holding these two dead girls that he's blamed for killing, which is why he's on death row. Um, but uh, obviously, that's not what he he didn't do it. We learn later, but um, obviously, he's you know once we learn who what he's able to do, maybe he was trying to save them and failed because he was too late. And that like like just and obviously all the little girls had blonde hair, and so like they're bleeding out of their heads. So the red what's mm hmm. You you feel it, yeah. You feel it, and it hurts. Um, you know, I I think, and I think the other like the most to me the most shocking moment, both figuratively and literally, unfortunately, is when when Dell um is being executed. Ooh, that scene. That's rough, and it's also really rough that... too. Um, also speaking, because um, let me just pull up. I forget the actor's name, but we know him from other things like he was mr noodle on elmo's world um and i i remember him mostly as um one of the pilots in jurassic 
world, Jurassic Park three. Michael Jeter, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Michael and oh, and he uh, was the original owner of Airbud. Yes, you did. I, men- I believe you did bring this yes. up. Um, yeah, <laughs> he, he he also has sadly passed away. May he rest in peace. Um, but he's he's so good in this movie, and so good. Um, and, like he develops this, and Dal and yeah, and Dal is like one of the most like obviously you know we don't really know much about what he's in on death row for, but you know clearly he's reformed, and you know when we meet him, like he's he's just trying to like do his best with his last few days that he has. Yeah, and also like again, there's. I don't know where I was going with that, but um, point is like when when we first meet him, like we're already like we 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 appreciate him, mm-hmm. and you love him immediately, and then and then of course uh, his companion, who is the best part of the movie, <laughs> Mr. Jingles, <laughs> Mr. Jingles, <laughs> freaking greatest circus mouse of all time. Listen, I don't care. That yeah, the the one from Dumbo might have like a whole outfit. Make that no. Yeah, Timothy's got no. Timothy's got nothing on um on Mr. Jingles. Nothing. Like Mr. Jangles top tier, I would pay top dollar to see J- to see Mr. Jangles. Yeah. In deed. Um but he has this relationship with the with the mouse, uh, but like when he's executed, it's a both emotional and just like just dis- disturbing sequence because they t- they tell Dell like cuz like, you know, Brutal and um and Tom Hanks are like, "Look, you know, once once you're gone, we'll make sure that Mr. Jingles goes to the Mouse Mouseville in Florida, which is not a real place. But no, they but want him th- to be comfortable, to at least be at peace in mind once he leaves the world. But then Percy, the piece of shit that he is, is like they were just lying to you. Mouseville ain't a real ain't a real place. And listen, can we <laughs> yeah. like, can we just talk about Percy for a second? Yeah, t- yeah, talk about Percy. Sure, he is like reprehensible. Yeah. But he's also a coward. Mm-hmm. It's like the worst. You know, like, this was. It's it's like you hate when like he play the guy plays it well, but like you hate mm-hmm. whenever he is on screen. You do you like because he's so like he's so greasy and slimy, and you just you you see this character, and you're like everything that comes to him he deserves. Yes, but again he's an absolute coward. Mm-hmm. So like he 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 can he can dish it out, but he can't take it. Yeah. And he picks on poor Dell the entire time. Like one of the first things he does is he breaks Dell's fingers. Yeah, because you know he's just like he, he just psh, with his nightstick and breaks his fingers. Right. And the whole time he's just picking on him. And then finally, when when it's Dell's time, unfortunately, in the electric chair, um, he's he's like sadistic towards him. Yeah. He's just evil towards him, and he says the Mouseville thing isn't real, and and it's just you can tell Dell is like. Like, why are you saying this to me? Mm-hmm. And every and all the other guards are like, "What the actual hell?" Mm-hmm. But the worst part, the absolute worst part, is during the whole setup procedure with the electric chairs. You have to like wet a sponge, and he doesn't wet the sponge. He intentionally, like he he keeps saying, "I forgot. I didn't know I had to do that." It's like, no, they told you ahead of time, and you went to do it, and you refused. They even watched you bend down with the sponge in your hand to dip it in the water so that you didn't do any of that shit. Mm-hmm. And so Dell got the full force of the electric chair, which meant he suffered. And and everybody in that room saw what happened. Like, his, his face caught on fire. His stomach blew open with electricity shooting out of it. Like, it was a... 
it was a violent scene. And if you if you and, took that scene out of context, it would seem it would feel like like it was from like a gross out like horror movie or something like like ex- yeah like a like a creature feature of some sort mm-hmm. or some sort of like it was it was rough. And when like obviously like you know they're like trying to figure out what to do and and like well he's already you know he's gone. So there's unfortunately nothing they can do but just let it happen and that's the worst part is that Bordell has to just suffer because of Percy. And Percy's like looking away cuz again he's he's scared mm-hmm. and Tom X is like no. You you did this. You watch. Yeah. You and like he literally holds him down mm-hmm. to make him watch what he's doing. And then they beat the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all deserved. Jesus. That uh, that I don't think I'll ever get that scene out of my head. No, yeah, it, it's like, it's, like they have and like they have three sort of major electric chair scenes. Like they have the initial one, which is sort of like the explanation, which is sort of like you know this is what's supposed to happen, and each one starts out the same. Like they have Harry Dean Stanton, also great actor, may he rest in peace. He's like the the prisoner. He's not on death row, but he's one of the prisoners that they sort of practice with mm-hmm. and uh, make sure they get the routine right and make sure they know everything because they want to try to do it as safe as possible. They want to try to do it as quickly as possible. And they want to do it as humanely as possible, as best because it's already like a messed up situation. Yeah. So they're trying to do they're trying to get it right as best they can. So they so they have Harry Dean Stanton come in. He's kind of funny. You know, he's like in the electric chair. Ah, uh, getting the sponge in my head. <laughs> you know, like a little little funny, little funny. But again, it's just, and, and the characters laugh, but Tom Hanks is like, this isn't funny. Yeah. Like, this is, this is, like, we're, we're about to kill a guy. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is going to weigh on you for, for your whole life. So this is something you really have to deal with. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, it's, it's insane to think about, but it's like, it's true. It's just, this is not meant to be funny. And so you just need to understand that. And so they they go through it three three separate times. So there's the initial scene, then there's the unfortunate Dell scene, and then there's the scene at the very end of the movie. It's very emotional with uh, John Coffey because like they're trying to make they're trying to get him out of it, but they unfortunately failed. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, it's not only that it's not only heartbreaking because they killed someone that they genuinely became fond of and and cared great greatly for, and found he was innocent. But also because it's like they killed a miracle. Mm-hmm. Like this guy shouldn't exist, and it's, and and that's why you know later on in the movie because the whole movie sort of structured as a memory, similar to Titanic. To bring that up again, yeah, because we meet an older man who's telling the story of his life when he was a prison guard, and it turns out the old man is Tom Hanks, and uh, through John Coffey, he gave him like immortality, almost well, not immortality, but he gave him like long life, yeah. And so he was able to, like, witness all these things. And while, you know, that can maybe on the surface seem like a pleasant thing, it, it's not because time passes and so many things end and and die. Mm-hmm. And yet you're still going and it's just so heartbreaking. And he considers that his curse for killing a miracle, basically. Right. And so it's just each each time the electric chair shows up in this movie, it's like it's you feel something. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, there's there's so much to talk about. I think the performances in this movie are all great. I want to just note David Morris real quick. Um, David Morris, icon, a really great. Um, you know, he has some of the best lines. He does. Yeah. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> you know, sometimes I keep a spare mouse in my wallet, but you know. <laughs> 
great voice, but also um, I was introduced to him through uh, the miniseries John Adams, where he played George Washington. He was excellent as George Washington, and so mm-hmm. much so that in the when they redid the Hall of Presidents in like 2009, when Obama took office, George Washington was because not many presidents get to speak in the Hall of Presidents, and then George Washington finally got to speak. And it was David Morris who got to provide that voice. So when you go in the Hall of Presidents, even to this day, it's David Morris. And he says, welcome to the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> um, but the whole the whole cast, I think, is um, is really great. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan, let's talk about him real quick. Because we talked about how, you know, we like the character this- and all that. But I think it's a, it's just a really challenging role. For a number, oh, absolutely. For a number of reasons. One, I, you know, we hinted at. I'm not a fan of Forrest Gump, and yeah. whenever they try to do portray people with special needs, on on particularly those, um, you know, mentally handicapped, um, it's tricky, and it's like in in a lot of respects, it can come off as parody, yeah, or like if they if they if they do something a little bit different it just feels off-putting or it just feels uncomfortable yeah and like it's it's still weird to like hear quotes from like force i mean obviously you know life's like a box of chocolates i think is a little bit different but like when you see like i love you jenny but said the way he said says the way it, he it says little, it yeah it feels off yeah it's <clears throat> you know and if you like that movie you know that's fine you know i get i'd like movies that are you know there's movie that have problematic elements so i get it but mm. I really just got to commend Michael Clark Duncan for his work here, but it all, I think it also helps too that he's a supporting player. He's not, he obviously he's a central focus, of course, but he's a central focus he, through another. He's like, he we're experiencing John coffee through the vehicle. That is Tom Hanks's Paul. Yes. And I, I think he, he, he does really, like, cause there's, there's like this, I almost compare him to like Yoda because you know, Yoda way Yoda speaks. It's like, Nobody speaks like that. Like no, 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 people don't. You know, when you somebody speaks, it you're like what? But he has like a certain wisdom, you know, to him. Um, it's just this magical quality, and um, re- literally and figuratively, literally and figuratively. Um, this is, all, I think, what the second, only the second movie of Michael Clark, Clark Dungas we've talked about because he was in Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. the Tim Burton one. Uh, really, just makes me miss him as an actor. Um, incredible work he- here. He he he'd been in like the thing. The crazy thing is like my, most of my knowledge of him as an actor was in like these kind of bigger movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like because he was um, one of his last roles is he was the voice of Kilowog in Green Lantern, and it's like that's such great casting. He's he's great Kilowog, mm-hmm. and yet like that movie <laughs> movie's not so great. And Daredevil. He was he was kingpin. He was a good kingpin really, too. Really good kingpin. He's a really good kingpin. Like, listen, I'll say this right now about that Daredevil movie specifically. If you watch the R-rated version, it's a little bit better. It's it's not as it's not great, mind no. you. But there, I mean, I think about Colin Farrell in that movie. Like, Colin Farrell's having a great time. He's having a great time. Uh, there's probably some select moments that are great, and and obviously Michael Clark Duncan as kingpin. Michael Clark Duncan is is fantastic. In that one, and that's one of the highlights. Yeah, and John Favreau is in it. <laughs> John Fa- John Favreau is in it. Um, John Favreau has now acted in two movies with Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's like um, uh, Kyle Chandler with King Kong. 
<laughs> you know, like several, like about the same time apart when yeah. you think about it, you know, because Daredevil's what, Pretty 2003? Mm-hmm. 2003, and King Kong was 2005, and then he. 2021, he did uh, Godzilla versus Kong. You know, so now, so now Kyle Chandler and John Favreau need to be in a movie together. Yeah, no, I, I'd be down. That's for what that. we're saying. They're great. They're great actors. Um, Daredevil versus King Kong. Let's go. Yes, um, <laughs> but I think this movie we haven't talked. I mean, we talked about Tom Hanks obviously in connection with other things, but I think this movie was a nice reminder of like Tom Hanks feels like America's actor in a lot of ways. Like, like you feel so happy to see him. Maybe not every movie he's done is, like, the best movie ever, but, like, you always get happy when you see his face. You know, he's putting in the effort whenever he's in whenever he's in a movie. You know, you might not, like, yeah. I think about him in Cloud Atlas. There's a number of points where it's just, it's so out there and weird. And he plays some characters in that movie, too, that you, he probably, I never would have expected him to no, play. No, so, but he does like, it well. He plays, like, some awful people, too, yes. but you know what? He makes me think of, uh, he makes me think of Jimmy Stewart. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, another terrific like American actor. You know, and that's not to say like that's the only American actor, but like, <laughs> what you know. But I, I think there's like a quality of Tom Hanks where it's just like you know, it's just nice. Like, like you said, you said it perfectly. It's just you're, you're happy just, to see him. You know, you're just happy to see him. And you know what? Like I always love the bits when and you know it's it's funny. Like we were talking about Frank Darabont, and we were watching it, and you're like, I love like watching him talk about movies yes like he's one of those people you like to talk about movies same with tom hanks Mm -hmm. but like from like the professional like like whenever like tom hanks is on like like a like a talk show or does one of those like round table things for like uh hollywood reporter or something it's always so wonderful because obviously he's had such a such a career yes of course made so many things but and i know this is i'm now that i'm thinking about this is very off the cuff but like you know we just talked about force cup (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but again not every movie he's made you know but um it's just always nice to hear him talk about the process and the work like i love the bit in i think one of the talk shows he did where he's uh with tom holland and he's like doing an acting exercise with him mm-hmm. and he just keeps asking him would you like some coffee <laughs> And he's like, you gotta now. You have to a- you have to answer this in several different ways and emotions. But I'm just gonna ask you the most mundane question: like, would you like some coffee? Mm. And and I think he needs to say the line, "Coffee, coffee, yes, I would like some coffee." And but he has to do it in various different ways. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, that that does sound familiar. Yes. Yeah, but like it's those moments are like just hearing him talk about the job is wonderful. You know what? And it's just like I I, I this is a silly movie, but like the Elvis trailer. He looks great in that. It's he looks it's goofy, but I'm like I am I am, I, I watch that trailer and I, there's a smile. I mean, again, I like the music of Elvis, you know, but like mm. see, seeing him, this man is my destiny. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> get you somebody who will say who will say that you are their destiny the way Tom Hanks does in the Elvis trailer. <laughs> this tragedy has nothing to do with us. John Coffey has everything to do with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god like again you just get every time every time like tom hanks is there you're like, and that's why right. also and i didn't see the um his um mr rogers movie but it just even though he may not look exactly like mr rogers he seemed like the perfect choice to embody it just made mr. sense it just made so much sense. or walt did when he played walt disney in um um 
God, what's the name of that movie? Saving Mr. Banks. Saving Mr. Banks. Thank you. Another Colin Farrell movie. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's great in that too. <laughs> but but he just, he, I think there's like this like reassuring quality about Tom Hanks. It's like, it's going to be okay. Like it's, it's, he's, he's like, he's like Paddington in human form. He's a, he's a, he's a human, <laughs> human Paddington. <laughs> you know what? That's the highest praise you can give anybody. You're a human Paddington. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 oh my god um but i think it's just a, i think it's just a terrific movie um I, this was i'm really glad that jelly suggested this because like i said we had never seen it before and not that i've never seen it before not that i'm gonna watch this like every year because this is a hard movie to get through but i'll watch it every now and then it's like shit that's a great movie like i i'm I keep seeing the new because it just got a new 4K release, and I keep seeing it at Best Buy, and I'm like, now I think I'm more tempted to to pick it up. The Blu-ray was out of print from what I've heard for a while. You were talking about this when we were watching it. Like, so much about this movie caught us off guard. Yeah, so much about it, and like the poster gives you no indication what this is. You just know it's Frank Darabont. You know, it's from the makers of Shawshank Redemption. It's a prison movie based on a Stephen King story. So. It's probably it's got to be the same thing, right? And it's not. it's got to be <laughs> no. It's such a different movie. It's very like you were saying this when we were watching. It, it's very Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's very because like because the end there's almost like a twist thing that you find out. I wish they didn't. That was one of my little gripes. I wish they didn't explain it. But I get why they had to do that. But like just because it's so out there. It's yeah. it's so out there. But like it's like oh, shit. Like, even though Tom Hanks was just doing his job and was trying, you know, it's, he still had to suffer some consequences, um, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just crazy. Like, man, three-hour Twilight Zone episode, basically. <laughs> <laughs> three-hour Twilight Zone episode. But you got this incredible cast. You got all these different great people. It's a lot funnier than I expected it to be. Oh, yeah. It's it's a lot... Like, again, so many great lines. Um, again, I think my personal favorite is Body Hunt. Just, like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And it's like... It, it, honestly, whenever I think of Bonnie Hunt, I just think of Jumanji. Mm-hmm. So, and... Which is such a weird thing, because like, I always forget, like, Bonnie Hunt's in Jumanji. <laughs> it's wonderful. You always think of the kids, or you think of Robin Williams, but it's like, Bonnie Hunt's in this, too. Give her some love. Oh, my God. Oh man! Um, but as far like as far as the both of these movies are concerned, like I think the biggest takeaway I have is just that even if you have a lot of the same things, like writers, filmmakers, even some of the actors, there are some like William Sadler's in both movies. Yes, in a smaller role in in the second one, mm-hmm. in a bigger role in the first one. Yeah, um, I forget I forget the actor's name, but he was. He was on The Walking Dead. He he plays he plays he's the older guy. Yeah, he's one of the guards. Yeah, he played he was a lawyer at the what was his name? I'm trying to ugh, hold on. Can I find it quickly? Yes. No, you good. <sighs> this is the moment of the well, who show. Was he, who was he? Who was he in the in this? Um, in in Green Mile, he's one of the he's one of the guards. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see. Because um, there's there's brutal, Percy, Paul. We know who those guys are. Yeah. Oh, um, younger guy. Uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn. Uh, Jeffrey DeMunn? Yes, because uh, it says he was in The Walking Dead. Yeah, because he, he, he was one of the best characters in The Walking Dead, and then they killed him. Um, 
And he, I also recognize him, too, because he was also in one of my mom's favorite shows, Billions. He plays Paul Giamatti's dad on that show. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he's, from what I've seen of it, he's very good. Nice. But there's a but point, the point I was trying to make is that there's a lot of familiar faces, a lot of familiar people involved in a lot of things, but just because those elements are at play doesn't mean they're anything alike. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of love when they do that. Like... You know, it's 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 okay to tackle like similar material every now and then, but if you can find a new avenue or a new angle or just a whole new twist to that same angle, then it just it's exciting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like, if you're if you're a creative person and you're telling a like again, Frank Darabont is very used to just Stephen King adaptations, and then just that one other movie that he did with Jim Carrey, and then the, the few different TV shows. But like, each movie is so different from the last. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I, I just, I, I, I got to appreciate that. Yeah. Because, you know, cause I, like I think of, I think of a lot of directors, like I've pitched for a long time and we've, this is a spoiler maybe for a later episode, but I pitched for a long time doing a Martin Scorsese episode for the show where it's good fellas and walls, the Wolf of wall street, because to a certain extent, like from an outward perspective, they seem like totally different movies. Cause one's about, Wall Street one's about you know gangsters but like structurally narratively they're both kind of the same movie yeah so it's kind of like just an interesting like compare and contrast like how similar they are whereas like with this one there's so many similarities from an outward perspective yet when you look on the inside they're so different Mm -hmm. and it's so and that's what made this such a great viewing experience at least for me because you're going into it expecting this whole other thing and then it's not what you get at all, and it makes it that much better. Yeah. But yeah, this was, I think this might be like the longest, for two movies, just two, we've done episodes with multiple movies, but like for two movies, it might be the longest like stretch of time for just two movies, because it was like three and a half hours of movie between the two of these films. They were so long. But like, I feel like, Maybe maybe this might be a criticism, but I feel like Shawshank dragged a little bit. It did. I mean, I, I agree, and I really enjoyed it, but it, it did drag yeah. a bit, you know. Be- Whereas with this, like, I feel like it more or less earns its three-hour runtime, and maybe that helped because we watched it literally, like, the first hour and a half on one day, and then the second hour and a half on another day. We split it up, but it was also like, what's going to happen next? Because I think you and I were both like, like, I, I remember the moment that really hit me was when they have the Fred Astaire clip repeat again. And you, oh, when, when he was wa- when, when he's he's watching, watching the movie, oh. the cheek to cheek, and I'm like, oh, that warms every part of my heart, it, every valve. And I think that shot, I love that shot of John Coffey just looking, does his eyes glued to the glued to the screen. You see, like the the light from the projector behind his head. It's just a great movie shot, you know. It's it's the pure personification of what. It, it is what it's like to be engulfed in a great movie. Yes. You know, I, I many people, I'm sure, would watch this movie and have that same reaction. Yeah. Like, you're especially just like, it's it's like an inception thing. Because we're, we're feeling the same way John Coffey's feeling about what he's watching, yet we're looking at each other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, John Coffey, Fred Astaire. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's. It's just one of those iconic moments in the whole movie. It's just the whole, the whole, the whole thing's just great. We didn't, you know, or, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about um, James James Cromwell. 
No, we did not talk. He's the he was the warden, wasn't he? Yes. Who he is? Listen, he's just great in everything. He's, he's one. He's one of those like character actors that shows up periodically, and you're always excited to see him. Like, I'm going to talk about a movie that I know a lot of people shit on: Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Okay. <laughs> you know what? That listen. Side note. Yeah. Joey and I um, have our own personal little two dudes Venn diagram, mm-hmm. which essentially encapsulates all the movies either for the show or not for the show that we've watched. And in the middle is a bunch of movies that Joey and I both strongly feel are for us. Yes. No matter what the public perspective is, we look at all these movies and go, yes, these are two dudes movies. Yes. In many respects, I would argue that Fallen Kingdom is a two dudes movie. It is. (laughs) Because, like, it's, listen, I think Joey and I would agree, too, is that it's not one of the best movies ever. It's not one of the best Jurassic Park movies. Like, the whole history of Jurassic Park movies it's crazy and why they even made more than one is just dumb but whatever mm-hmm. point is <laughs> they exist and then with fallen kingdom as messy as it is we both find something that we love about it yeah but sorry no he's great <laughs> in that movie as this sort of retconned character where it's like oh i helped john hammond and it's like his purpose in the movie is weird because obviously you can't get richard attenborough back unfortunately um yeah but like he's so good in the movie like mm-hmm. he is really good and he's just like that's like that's a real actor right there where it's just like listen fallen kingdom in a lot of ways can be viewed as schlock but he is treating it as if he's reading like freaking hamlet i don't know <laughs> he he is very like he, he he brings a very stage actor presence to his performance and it's welcome that'll do that'll do all of, uh, that'll do james cromwell that'll do <laughs> that'll do james cromwell <laughs> Babe, his um, Oscar-dominated performance in Babe. By the way, listen, I, I now I want to watch Babe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Babe! We need to get Babe on two dudes at some point. Just a Babe, not, not Babe double feature. No, uh, uh, Babe's Web. We just have Charlotte's Web <laughs> and Babe. As long as it's not Animal Farm. Oh no no no. No, thank you. Um, but no, he's so good. And he has one of the most like like insane but also like emotional scenes in the entire movie because his he has his whole plot thread unfortunately is that his wife has a brain tumor and you know she's given like so only so much time to live. And so obviously once the guards learn of John Coffey's gift after he cures Tom Hanks, but also after he resurrects Mr. Jangles, because at one point, Percy, the piece of shit that he is, stops Mr. Jangles, and John Coffey's like, there might still be time, and he holds him in his hand and, like, brings him to life. Yeah. And you're like, it's beautiful. I love this. Again, it's the moment that uh, John Coffey brought Mr. Jangles to life. I'm like, this is the best character ever. <laughs> this is the Paddington of characters. <laughs> um but uh they're like i have an like tom like like paul basically goes i have an idea this could get us in trouble this could lose us our jobs this could potentially even mean jail time but given it's the right thing to do and this is a miracle it's worth trying and john coffee is down because john coffee is good people he's a good guy he's a genuine dude and they're like okay we got to break him out we're gonna take him to the warden's house we might have to fuss a little bit, but we're going to try to see if we can save his wife. And guess what? <laughs> they not only, like, 
it's it's a whole thing. So obviously, like the warden's like, no, no, like yeah. you, like what what is happening? But then they're like, trust us. Mm-hmm. And John Coffey's just like ominous. He's wa- like he's like he's almost like he's gliding into the house a little <laughs> bit. Like 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 obviously he's walking, but it just feels like the way he's approaching the house is just like, I got this. He's got a presence <laughs> about him. It's it's like it's again it's like kind of you know similar to Andy Dufresne like kind of the Jesus thing it's like it's kind of holy almost and what are what are John Coffey's initials JC a lot of Jesus in prison guys oh, Jesus <laughs> Jesus in prison my favorite sitcom uh- <laughs> um, but he but he saves he saves the wife he saves the wife and it's such a insane moment because like the house shakes mm-hmm. and he's like. Initially, it seems like kind of strange because like he's like kissing her on the forehead, but then he like kisses her. Yeah, that was very. But then like he, it was very, it was very weird. Like it's again, he he grabs Tom Hanks, (laughs) and then he kisses this guy's wife. But then like he pulls back and like some beam of light is shooting out of her mouth. But it also it also those moments go to show that like it makes sense in a in a in a terrible way, but like it makes sense why they thought he was responsible for the de- death of those girls cuz he's holding he's holding them right cuz his power he has to like i guess there's got to be some touch you know element to it and it's just like Ugh, oh god yeah it's it's not it's it's a little unfortunate that that's be it, but yeah it that's how that's how he does it and he saves your life and the this the the the, the tough part is like like he cuz normally he like coughs out the like whatever comes out of his mouth but he's struggling this time. Yeah. And then that leads to one of the most like insane moments. Oh my God. Because there's one thing we haven't talked about of all the things we haven't talked about. And that is Sam Rockwell uh, playing uh, another racist. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is, this is early in his career. So like, this might be the first, this is like, know. this is where this is, this is the inciting incident. <laughs> this is where Sam Rockwell started his whole career going. I'll just be a racist. <laughs> I'm just very good at playing somebody where you look at them and go, he probably wears a white hood sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I'm sure Sam Rockwell in real life's a good dude. Yeah, I'm Hopefully sure. Hopefully this doesn't age well. No. <laughs> Hopefully this ages well, I mean. Uh, oh, God. Uh, uh, age well. I'm knocking on wood right now. My table's made of wood. <laughs> it, so is my so is my dresser. Right. Age well. Um, um but yes, he plays a lot of racist people. <laughs> but he's a he's a real piece of shit, and we come to find that he is the he is the reason why those those girls are dead. Um, yeah, that is that was probably the biggest like revelation is that because he 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 doesn't initially like acknowledge him, and and Sam Rockwell's whole existence in the whole movie when he shows up is to annoy the guards and then get thrown into like the padded cell room. Yeah. And that's when he's like, "I'm oh, sorry. I'm, I'll be good. I promise. Mm-hmm. I won't do it anymore." But he keeps doing it. Yep. And and we were talking about the moon pie scene. It's that's the grossest thing in the whole movie. So gross. It's like a bat. Like a bat. Like it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's just gross. Um, poor David Morris had to endure that. <laughs> David Morris. <so. laughs> but um, he's basically a nuisance the entire time. But we learn after um, because because obviously during the plan trying to get John Coffee out of prison so that he can take so he can be brought to the warden's wife to save her life um because they initially had to they had to incapacitate percy and they had to drug um uh whatever sam rockwell's character's name is. Yes. i don't remember Peace but they had to drug 
<laughs> they had to drug him, but it didn't work out so well. And he wakes up and he grabs John Coffey. And during that moment, John Coffey is almost able to read him. Yeah. And that's when he learns, this is the guy that brought me here. This is the guy that put me here. Because he's the one, he was one of the farmhands working for the farmer whose little girls were killed and John Coffey found them with. Yes. And uh, he he violated, murdered, every like every terrible thing you can think of he did to these little girls, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And John Coffey had to find them after the fact. And he yeah. couldn't save them because they were already gone. But, okay, but, like, when, when he, like, what was it, like, possesses or what or whatever? Like, <laughs> like he basically, like, oh, it's wildest thing. Like, he possesses by, like, like the things that normally come out of his mouth. He shot, he shot into Percy after he was brought out of the padded cell. Yeah. And then Percy, you, you, you tell. I've been talking. A lot. Percy kill. Us. Percy kills Sam Rockwell. <laughs> and you get you get switch Richard. My mouth was like a. Aga- I literally so agape. I turned my head and I was like, <gasps> like, like I was like, it was shocking what was happening. But I was looking at Joey and his reaction. I was just, what. <laughs> Because I was like, wow, like, that was like a Game of Thrones, like a good Game of Thrones, like level, like whoa, that what? that was that was a red wedding moment. <laughs> but it's also one of those things where, like, even though it's a movie about like how precious life is and all that, there's some people that just cannot be redeemed. Um, they just they just are too far gone. Like whether they're child murderers or Percy. <laughs> Or Percy. Oh, man. Uh, but it's like two birds, one stone. He possesses him, something, and he just walks down to the cell, and Sam Rockwell's just, like, screaming things at him. Uh-huh. And he just pulls his pistol and shoots him. Just, but then, like, then like Percy... Like, Percy doesn't die, but Percy loses his mind. Yep. Like, literally. Like, it's not like... like I don't mean, like... like he, There's nothing upstairs anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Initially, I thought he was giving him like the brain tumor he took from from uh, that's the wife. What, that's why I was so like, what? What, <laughs> what is happening? He just killed him. Just, wow. But um, needless to, needless to say, uh, Jelly, thank you for this pairing of um, of films. I think there's a lot to be discussed. There's probably things that we missed with these two movies, but again, they're they're long. They're long. <laughs> they're long movies. Both really good movies they're both on netflix at the time we're recording this um so if you have mm-hmm. netflix you can check them out you know if you they both listen cry. you know you know joey and i are big physical media guys as well um like i said they just released a green mile 4k and shawshank redemptions on 4k if there's either of those movies are of interest to you to mm-hmm. you right so you can pick those up literally they're at best buy like i might i, I think i'm actually gonna go to best buy when we're done talking but <laughs> not a not a sponsor but yeah. um yeah but if you wanted to, hey, <laughs> I haven't done that joke in a very long time. I give you credit. I give you credit. <laughs> I just realized, like, listen, you're not a sponsor, but if you wanted to be Best Buy, I shop. I shop and, with. In you any long. case, these are very ac- <laughs> these are very accessible movies. Yes. So, um, if you get a chance and you have time, yes, <laughs> or a couple of days, <laughs> it's, it's it's a commitment. I mean. Like, but it's a worthwhile one. Yes. No. Absolutely. Um. Definitely. For sure. We're we are better people by watching these movies. Thank you, Jelly. Yes. I'll probably see you in 
I don't know. I don't know if you're going to show up in the house today, but if you are, I'll see you in a little bit. But <laughs> um, folks, uh, wh- out of uh, Frank Darabont's four directed films, <laughs> what is your favorite? <laughs> We've talked about half, so now we have to talk about a second half. I, I really want to hear those recommendations. Um, <laughs> uh, like you so know, many different titles, like just Majestic Mist, Mist Majestic, what are da, your, da. What are your favorite Michael Clark Duncan movies? What are your favorite uh, Morgan Freeman movies? What are your favorite Tim... I'm going to bring up Tim Robbins, because it's like, it's one of, he's such a, he is like quintessential 90s guy to me. Even his hair is so yes. His hair is it's like Cliff C. Cliff, Cliff C. Cord went to prison. <laughs> <laughs> Little Rocketeer <laughs> reference. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, <laughs> that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Two Dudes One Double Feature. You could contact us. Uh, let us know through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We each have Letterbox. We have a YouTube channel. I'm going to try to get something filmed. I don't know about this week, but at some point in my life. I am uh, waiting for this. I, I know you're waiting. Uh, and you're probably going to have to keep waiting for a bit longer. <laughs> as our people are going to have to keep waiting for the next episode, which will be out in two weeks. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys for everything you do. We love you both so much. And, of course, stay tuned in two weeks for a brand-new episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. about me and my NFTs now.